and I'm going to start this half with a poem of mine called Greenscape. Um, this was written for um, an edition of the review towards the end of last year. Um, the Pre-Raphaelite Society Review is published three times a year. Um, so this was the last edition from 2021. And it was themed around the artist Ford Maddox Brown. Um, this painting is an English autumn afternoon, and it's a painting I absolutely love, not just because of its subject matter and composition, but because I think it's really experimental. And um, this really interesting ovoid shape that I think is an attempt to, to replicate the human eye. Um, the poem is an acrostic, so when you read the first letter of each line going downwards, it spells out an English autumn afternoon. Um, there are a couple of pieces of quoted text. Um, John Ruskin asked Ford Maddox Brown why he'd painted such an ugly subject and Maddox Brown believing um, Ruskin to be kind of deliberately offensive um, answered with quite a lot of umbrage because it was there. Um, and this was the view from his back window in Hampstead. And it's a view that I think is very enviable. Greenscape, acrostic poem after an English autumn afternoon by Ford Maddox Brown. An axial pivot and summer's abundant nature becomes memory, mellowing to earthy autumn, preternaturally glowing. Newly patinated by nature's hand, garlands of leaves who've sh whose shadows already lie long as light is lost to the aging year. Yet still, this London is a dish that brims with greens. Cecil oak, beech, wild service, field maple, prepare for sleep above Hampstead's counterpane, sphagnum soft and embroidered with rowan. A window's vantage, a very ugly subject, lovingly rendered unlovely. Terracotta roof tiles, terraces of trees turning umber under an artist's brush, the horizon's mists silvering to verdigris. The dove, paragon of fidelity, navigates Copewood to Coupledom, avian echo of the man, the woman, his hat, her ribbon, both blue, each faithfully ignoring the view in favour of the other. Perspective tumbles. If this were theatre, these are the gods, the cheap seats, an eerie affording a bird's gaze of numinous riches. Branches rustle their sleeves, not yet naked, for this is October, the between time. Optical, experimental, an ovoid canvas leads the eye. First lovers, now wings now roofs, now trees, now sky. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to read, to introduce our next reader. And this will be Sally Flint reading a really beautiful and sensitive poem, another Morris inspired poem called Beautiful Garden. So if you're with us, please, Sally, could you unmute? Yes, I hope you can hear me. Is that okay? Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for um, the wonderful anthology. It's so rich, isn't it? And I, it's been a pleasure reading it today. Um, so I'm going to read my poem. Um, I should put it into context, perhaps. 
The poem reflects on the relationship between William Morris and his elder daughter, Jenny. I often feel Jenny's a little bit forgotten about. Um, she developed epilepsy in her teens after a boating accident. Um, and Morris certainly empathized and felt immense sadness at her condition. And he was determined Jenny be cared for at home, continue her education, engage with the arts and socialism. During a time when sufferers were often institutionalized and he was very much against that. So a love of color, flowers and new growth erupts from their letters between William and Jenny. And in 1892, William writes to Jenny, I think we shall have a beautiful garden this year. Beautiful garden, and it's got an epigraph by Jenny Morris. I often walk here in the evening, hoping to meet my dear father. He was such a sweet companion. I know he hears rustling of leaves along the ground, even though it's summer and the trees are full. Sometimes he thunders through the house and garden when he can't find the right word to end a poem or pigment to dye cloth. Soon he'll quiz the nurse again, tell her she must call him the moment my face whitens before I fall. He will keep me close and at home, no matter what convention says. I frequently pray for him. He tastes metal before a stall, catches sight of colours others don't see. Father knows beyond the mind's eye patterns play tricks. When the world turns black, somewhere sun warms earth. Beauty is never perfect. I am not mad. Thank you. Thank you so much for reading, absolutely, for, for reading your poems, Tony. It's so tender and so intimate, and it, it does feel, um, doesn't it, as if, um, as if Jenny Morris has largely been forgotten. And obviously May's artistic legacy is so extraordinary um, that we often overlook Jenny. And um, I think it's really, um, really meaningful and really beautiful that you've elevated her in this really sensitive and um, really careful and thoughtful poem. So thank you so much for being here to read it for us this evening. It means a lot to hear it. Thank you. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. OK, while Sally pops herself back on mute, I'm going to introduce our next reader. And I'm delighted that Lavinia Singer is with us this evening. And Lavinia is going to read her poem, Winter's Place. Are you there, Lavinia? Yes, I am. Um, I've had slightly dodgy internet, which is why when I, I lose my video every now and then, I've ejected myself a few times. But no, I've, I've loved the poems and it's been so wonderful to hear them. Um, and it meant so much. Um, Sarah to hear from you and Serena about the prize and I just want to say thank you for continuing it for kind of 10 years <laughs> over 20 years because I mean it must be a huge amount of work um, as must have been the anthology which is wonderful and it's so good to read all the varying poems um, and how generous you were throughout that whole process um, as with tonight um, I mean that I loved your slideshow so much and you've put so much time and care into it and and also the commentary you're giving to everyone's poems it's just so such a wonderful evening so thank you um this poem is 
um, yeah, I, I won't say too much about it, but um, I love Christina Rossetti's work and um, I've often thought how she fit in um, with her kind of devout kind of high Anglican kind of faith um, amid her flamboyant brother and all that was going on with the brotherhood at the time. Um, so that was kind of a starting point. And then I was thinking um, about the four children and used uh, each season of the year to kind of correspond to um, a different Rosetti child. So that is um, where the poem comes from. Winter's Place. All, oh gosh, sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just thought a very important point would be actually to, to name the children and the, the seasons. So um, the first um, is Spring Maria, the summer is Dante, the autumn is William, and winter is Christina herself. Crucial information. <laughs> Winter's place. All love the spring, first looks and smiles, heralding with its hints and peak of what's to come. Nature's jewels bud and beginning glistens, touches of green and gold. Who cares for winter, its cold mystery and dark? Summer volcanic throws thick color, floods feeling and ringing symphonies. A thousand symbols in as many sights, time of mischief heart and fire dreams. What could winter add to the miraculous feast? Let autumn next tread, crisp and cool, it mutes the glares burnishing. A world held in soft flame, spice and copper, learns to reap and store, parcels its reflections. Keep off winter, its threats and extinction. Winter, what is your place? The uphill months, dark difficulties, meters of ice and white in this last breath of year. For you too stir gladness and glittering landscape echoing with awful suggestion. Final, unexpected, winter unlocks its urgent secret. Wow, Lavinia, thank you so much to, for being here this evening to read this stunning poem. It's such a clever idea to attribute a season to each of the four Rossetti children. And of course, Christina Rossetti wrote the poem In the Deep Midwinter. So of course she would embody um, winter. The poem's become really um, popular again, hasn't it? Since um, it gets quoted in almost every episode of Peaky Blinders, I think. Um, it's such a brilliant poem. And I love the direct address in the final stanza. Winter, what is your place for you to stir gladness in glittering? I think it's marvellous. I think that creates a real sense of immediacy and intimacy. Um, it's such a brilliantly realised poem, so sparely written um, and with so much dignity as well. So I'm thrilled that you could be here to share it with us this evening. And thank you so much for allowing us to include it in the book. Thank you, Sarah. Those are amazing words. I really appreciate them. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, gosh, the pleasure's all mine. Honestly, this is such a wonderful evening. Um, I'm just absolutely absorbed by all this fabulous poetry. Thank you all so much. Um, I don't think John Gallus has managed to join us. Um, if you are here, John, um, please do give me a shout or a wave. 
No, I don't think so. If um, I have um, emailed the joining details to John again. So um, if he is able to join us, we can always circle back. Um, but it, it, John's is a marvellous poem. So um, if anyone buys the book, you can um, you can have a look at it then. Um, with, Maria is with us this evening, but she is travelling, so she won't be reading. But um, I included her poem in the screen share document just in case she was able to read. Um, but once again, I will direct the, any reader to, to Maria's poem in the book because it's a beautiful poem. Um, and well worth spending um, spending some time with. Um, okay, we're going to move on to our next reader who is here. Um, and Susan Castillo Street has um, a pre-Raphaelite credential that I think all of us would probably envy. Um, Susan has um, a historical family connection to the artist who inspired her poem. So she can tell us a little bit more about that. So I'm really delighted that Susan's going to read her poem bird of God. So if you're there, Susan, please do unmute. I'll hand over to you. Thank you so much, Sarah, for the love and care with which you have assembled this wonderful, wonderful anthology. Just extraordinary. Um, for me, it's very special because Joanna Boyce was the great-great-grandmother of my late husband, Jonathan Street. And I've always been fascinated by her figure. She was an extraordinary woman at a time when it was not terribly easy for women to be artists and to have a full career in, in art. So I thought perhaps a poem could come out of that. And that's what, when this popped up. Um, so let's see. So here is Bird of God is the name of her portrait, which her, her painting, which is my favorite, of course. Bird of God, Joanna knew that yes meant sacrifice. Domestic ties come first, even before art. And what an artist she was, my Joanna. Even Ruskin praised her work. I quoted her, we roamed the fields, painted side by side. Perhaps she thought if she accepted me, she could have motherhood and art, not be forced to choose. For a while she had them both. I remember her laughing paint stained amid the smell of turps until the day she died in childbirth. I put red roses on her pillow, saw color leech from her dear face, took up a pencil, drew its planes, her strong profile, her brows, her wings of wild black hair. Wanted to do her justice, I asked Rossetti to make another sketch. His words hit me like stones. A great artist sacrificed to bring another child into the world, as if there were not more women just fit for that task. Susan, thank you so much for, for reading that poem. Um, Joanna Wells' voice died far too young, of course, and um, you know, one wonders what other works of art she would have gone on to produce. Um, I think your poem is so sensitive and so beautifully written, so tender. Um, and of course, it, it honours um, a female pre-Raphaelite protagonist who was an artist in her own right. Um, I think that's really, really important. We have on, our, on the wall of our house in Sussex a painting by Joanna Boyce and also by her husband, Henry Wills, and they are treasures, absolute treasures. Oh, I, I can I can well imagine, um, and I think your poem really adds something to to those family treasures. Um, I know you said that some of your relatives were were going to have copies of the book, so I can imagine that the poem will be yes. treasured artifacts. 
I also will send the link to the PRS um, YouTube channel, you know, and if, if they can bear to hear me, I'm sure they would love all the other beautiful poems that we've heard here tonight. I think we're all so grateful to Sarah and to Serena for the proficiency and kindness and intelligence with, with which they have organized this. It's been absolutely inspiring. What a delight to deal with. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's so kind of you to say, thank you so much. But honestly, the, the honor is entirely mine. Um, and before we move on, I just wanted to point out how um, how clever um, Susan's choice of phrase was. His words hit me like stones. Um, when I look at this image drawn, drawn by Rossetti of Joanna on her, on her deathbed, she does look as if she's been carved from stone. So I think there's this really brilliant kind of circling back to, to one of the images that inspired the poem. So thank you. It's, it's really moving to hear you read it. Thank you so much. Um, while Susan pops herself back on mute, I'm delighted to welcome our next reader. And this is Amanda Oosthausen. And Amanda's going to read her poem, Bells and Marigolds. So if you are there, Amanda, please do unmute. Um, and we'd love to hear your poem. Thank you, Sarah. Um, well, this picture caught my, caught my attention because it's caught this very, this tiny moment in time. It's like a photograph, really. And it's a tiny moment that's this woman's experience, but also in the sort of um, greater picture, I suppose. And it's um, um, in the women's development, I suppose. Anyway, the other thing I really liked about it was the symbolism, which spills over into the frame. And there's so much symbolism in it that it, for me, it became virtually surreal. So um, this is my poem, Bells and Marigolds. Sitting on his lap, she sings her hell of deserted banqueting halls hung with brittle garlands, dead anemones and roses where cobwebbed chandeliers cast a dusty light and music is a mute ghost. Outside, the night is still and in the foggy darkness of the room, he is there always. His glove tumbles to the floor as the cat pats the flailing bird. This tangled skein in which she's trapped with its fiery marigolds of cruel love might be the worse for leaving. The bird drags its wing under the chair. His hand grasps her waist, clutching her dress. As the cat reveals its claws, she hears the bells and stops her song, pulls away with all her strength, and there is sunlight in the mirror. Wow, thank you so much for reading that poem this evening, Amanda. It's such a powerful piece of writing, and I think you've observed the painting so well. The, the poem is so full of detail. Um, yeah, and you, you've really kind of built the whole narrative beyond the frame. Um, and of course, the imagery of the cat playing with the bird, which is so sinister, and you've managed to bring that out so perfectly. Um, I think it's a really perfect accompaniment to the painting, but it adds so much more to it. And I love the line, music is a mute ghost. We're looking at that piano with his one hand just resting on the keys. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, the glove tumbles to the floor. The cat pats the flailing bird. There's so much kind of sinister imagery in the poem and it's so well controlled and really well contained. Um, we're thrilled to have the poem in the book, and I'm so glad that you could be with us this evening to read it. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Okay, well, Amanda pops herself back on mute. I'm going to introduce our next reader. Um, this is Nicola Warwick, and Nicola's going to read her poem, The Rose of May. And Nicola also has a lovely family connection to some pre-Raphaelite history. So um, I think she'll probably tell us a little bit about that before she reads her poem. So are you there, Nicola? Yes, I am. Yeah, well, hello. I'll put myself on mute and hand over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And, and thank you for everybody's for all these wonderful poems. It, it's such a, a pleasure to be part of it. Um, my, my family connection isn't I'm not related to any of them, but um, Rossetti is buried in the churchyard of the church where my parents got married. So that just kind of blew me away because I've been past there many, many times before I knew. And when I, I actually knew that he was buried there, I just had to find the grave and I did. And I'm I was totally blown away by finding it. And there's also inside the church, which is in Birchington in Kent, there's a stained glass window that his mother commissioned after his death, which you can see, and that, that's absolutely stunning as well. So it's well worth a visit. And, and the poem, this, this poem is actually inspired by, well, it's probably the, the quintessential pre-Raphaelite painting, the um, Ophelia by Millet. And I've always been slightly disturbed by the painting, and I think because it's the backstory of the model of Lizzie Siddle that probably everybody knows and how she had to stay in this bath of cold water for hours and hours. And I sort of wanted to look beyond that and looked back at the, the story of, of Hamlet and the Rose of May is what Hamlet refers to Ophelia as. So I kind of took that idea and ran with it and, and this is the poem that came from that idea. The Rose of May. It's one of those days, the air loud with bees and woodlarks, sun simmering on your back, the ground smothered with cow parsley and buttercups. Drawn to the river, you collect strands of willow, nettle, scarlet bowls, peas, a string of violets to wear about your neck. The water flaunts its freshness, casts its moisture as a healing bed. Seduced, you step in, settle your body in its soothing arms. The cold brings roses to your cheeks. Your dress, pale as a bridal gown, grows sodden, grubby with waterweed and silt. Heavy as an eel, you gulp silver mouthfuls, become torpid as stone, a magnet for the fishy mass that gathers to greet you, to draw you down to a coven of lamprey and crayfish. Wow, Nicola, thank you so much for being here this evening to read that poem. Thank you. So, don't, thank you so much. It's been, it's been wonderful. Oh, oh gosh, it, it has been wonderful. You're absolutely right. And I think this poem oscillates so beautifully between Lizzie in the bath and between Ophelia in the in the river, in the water. Um, the, the language and the imagery is so well judged. Um, I love the waterweed, the silt, heavy as an eel, you gulp silver mouthfuls. There's something really sensory and it's quite extraordinary to make such a tragic scene feel so beautiful. Um, and yet you do manage. Um, so it's a wonderful poem um, you'll be unsurprised to hear that um, each year in the competition we get lots of um, Lizzie Siddle poems um, 
and I think which which is lovely I mean you know I, I think she's um a, a fascinating figure um but I think it can be difficult to to make a Lizzie Siddle poem stand out um so it's a real testimony to this one that it does um it's it, it just it's just brilliant the way it oscillates between the two worlds um, so thank you so much for um, allowing us to publish it and for reading it this evening. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, we're moving on to our next reader now, and I'm delighted that Andrea Small is with us this evening, and Andrea is going to read her poem, Effie, after Mrs John Ruskin. Are you there, Andrea? I'm here, Sarah, thank you. Brilliant. I will mute myself. Um, thanks very much. And uh, I've got my book and it's very exciting. I, as with most of the other poets, I'd like to thank Serena and Sarah for putting this together. And particularly, Sarah, I'd like to thank you for being such a warm correspondent. Your emails are so respectful and honouring and I, I really appreciated them. Thank you. So my poem is called Effie. Um, Effie Gray, who had the bad luck to marry John Ruskin, as we all know the story. Um, I live in Sheffield and Ruskin is, uh, is all over Sheffield because he had a lot of connections there. And one year they had um, a special exhibition called Art and Wonder, and I went to see it. And they had uh, this, uh, extract from, I think it must have been one of Effie's letters, describing her experience of being on her honeymoon with John Ruskin when he was writing The Stones of Venice. So this is Effie after Mrs. John Ruskin. Sorry, I meant to read out her quote. It was, nothing interrupts him. He is seen either with a black cloth over his head, taking daguerreotypes or climbing about the capitals covered with dust or else cobwebs. Effie, after Mrs. John Ruskin. Nothing interrupts him. Day after day, I trail behind him in the hot dust, needing rest, water, the lavatory, as he stands before another corner of another building, filling yet another page in his notebook. How I hate it. That book never leaving his hand, save when he needs his camera. Then he places the wretched thing in his coat pocket as though he were laying a newborn in her cradle. His pens, his ink, he stows with equal care, checking they are dry and not about to leak. I swear I should not be surprised if he sang them a lullaby. And all the time, the looking, and none of it at me. Thank you. 
Andrea, thank you so much for being here to, to read that wonderful poem this evening. I think this is so tart and so understandably bitter, but you managed to write such a constrained, such um, such a dignified poem. And who wouldn't sympathise with Effie Ruskin and um, and her plight? Her plight. I think this is a wonderful way of using sound text, but nothing is interrupting as a as a jumping board into this fabulous poem. Um, how I hate it, that book. And your repetition of another, 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 this sense of relentlessness in the hot, dry dust of the city. Um, it's just wonderful. And I think the final line is absolutely devastating. Um, thank you so much for this. I love these kind of, these feminist retellings. Um, it's just marvellous. So I'm really thrilled that we have the poem in the book and that you were able to join us this evening to, to read. Um, and thank you for your very kind words um, about me as well. It's been an absolute joy for me to correspond with all of the poets. Um, normally in the competition, it's Serena who, um, who lets people know that they've been placed. Um, so this is the first time that I've um, had contact with, with some of you. Um, and it's been such a pleasure to kind of get to know you all through emails. Um, so thank you for that, Andrea. It's very deeply appreciated. We're moving on now to our next reader, and this is Jack Cooper. And Jack's going to read his fabulous poem, Lady Godiva Calls the Herd. Are you there, Jack? Uh, yep. Everyone can hear me? Uh, hello. I will unmute myself and hand over to you. Mute myself, rather, and hand over to you. Perfect. Oh, my God. My French looks awful. Um, yeah, so I wrote this poem in the first lockdown and this gorgeous painting by John Collier. It was it's in the Herbert Museum, which was just on my road. So this is a painting I'd seen many, many, many times. And then when I was locked away, I knew it was like 200 metres away from me, but I, you know, couldn't see it. Um, and it became a kind of focal point. So I'll get on to reading the poem. Uh, and it will start with a quote from Grafton's Chronicle, which was published in 1572. At that day and time that she should ride, which was made certain unto them, that straight commandment should be given from all the city, that every person should shut in their houses and windows, and none so hardy to look out into the streets, nor remain in the streets, upon a great pain. She came to the city in silence, the lady and her horse, pale as engraved glass, goose-skinned, hooves sinking into tarmac from their terrible weight. She wore her hair like a ruin wears a street lamp, every century showing. She came round the corner of Cuckoo Lane, Langorus. She came to Broadgate, every door open for business, each window an open throat. The first person to catch her eye plunged to the pavement. The lady and her horse stepped over the body with the slimmest sliver of a smile, her fingernails spat from spoiling lips. She rode through the city in silence and everywhere, the dead. Wow, Jack, that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for being here this evening to, to read your wonderful poem. I think she wore her hair like a ruin wears a street lamp is possibly one of my all-time favourite poetry similes. It's just oh. fantastic. The idea of um, how a light might illuminate a building um, and yet also... Um, you know, somehow kind of conceal it, you know, make shadows. And um, it's so clever. And it, it's um, 
it's a deliciously taut and taut register in this poem and I absolutely love the fingernails spat from spoiling lips and there's so much relish in that Um, and again it's a very feminist retelling um, absolutely wonderful I'm so glad you were here this evening to to bring the poem to even greater life for us thank you so much for reading and thank you for allowing us to include the poem in the book thank you for having me and I might have to quote you on that for the simile <laughs> I'll be <laughs> taking that forward now <laughs> thank you you'll be very welcome have it with with my pleasure <laughs> well thank you so much to Jack and um, Joe isn't with us this evening, um, so I will direct you all to her poem in the book if you um, if you buy the book, and I hope you will. Um, it just leaves me to um, read the final poem of the evening. Um, before I do, I want to thank all of you for being here this evening, um, both audience members who have been so supportive and so generous. Um, with your comments in the um, in the chat and also all of our incredible poets and um, I think this has been one of the most exciting and vibrant and rich and sensory poetry evenings I've ever attended so um, it's such an honour to read alongside you um, and Serena and I really are so proud of this book and so grateful to all of you for um, for allowing us to reproduce your brilliant poems. And there are some poets in the book who haven't been able to join us this evening. Um, so I hope that anyone who buys the book will um, go to those go to those poems first, perhaps to um, to kind of complete your collection of pre-Raphaelite inspired poems. Um, by the book we're going to ask you to email Serena and she can arrange that for you the book will retail at £10 including PMP or £8 for each additional copy in the same um, in the same order and well with my thanks um, and with my gratitude this is um, the final poem of the evening um, I've gone slightly off script in that this poem isn't in the anthology, um, but I'm, I chose to read it this evening because it's a poem, as much as anything, it's a poem about how one can be inspired by art to write poems. Um, the uh, most recent copy of the PRS review, uh, the one that's just come out, was themed all around Dante Gabriel Rossetti. Um, and my poem, has three different sources of, um, of content. Um, there's my own text, um, but it also um, includes some fragments of, I think, seven or eight Rossetti poems, and they're visible in the poem because I've italicised those quotes. And also I've embedded lots of names of Rossetti's paintings within the text, and they remain, remain capitalised. So again, they are visible. Um, I've chosen to illustrate it, first of all, with um, this wonderful image by Rossetti, modelled by Jane Morris, um, Silence from 1870. Um, so with my profound thanks and um, deep appreciation and admiration to all of our readers and my, my thanks and appreciation to all of our audience members this evening, this is Where the Shapes of Sleep Convene for DGR. How you fill my thoughts, the presence and the dream. The bower garden found the gate of memory, 
Each canvas the tributary of a sparkling stream when this silver thread is unspooled slowly, century by century. It seems a thing to wonder on. What lies beneath the paint, in silence, secret and unknown? A fight for a woman? Dante's dream, love's whole prize, tangled as leaves through which a bird has flown. The marriage of so many hands and lips, heart, mind. The belcalori complexity of a sea spell. Strands woven by Lizzie and Jane in life and art. Fanny, Alexa, each in turn the blessed damosel. I see the beloved brushstrokes, even in night's blue closet of dreams, when my soul this hour has drawn your soul a little nearer yet. Beyond the frame, you, your star undiminished by the morning music of dawn. How your colours have filled my dreams with flame until there is no point that wakes the spell. If songbirds wake to song, then I wake still speaking your name, love's greeting, half dreams caught between paint and words. And when the moon looks upon daylight, still you blaze, your golden legacy of chalks, oils, an echo in the sun. Now, like a flame, you illuminate the adoration of days, that lovelier light where your heart's wild shadows are spun. The past is over and fled, ephemeral writing on the sand. I know this, and yet the daydream persists. What might I do, charmed by your vaporous, unaccountable dreamland? but take up my pen where dreams are multitudes and rights. Thank you all very much. And if anyone would like to purchase a copy of The Presence and the Dream, please do feel free to email Serena at serena.trowbridge at bcu.ac.uk.